Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Midnight Ramblings. I'm Jenny Silberstein, and I'm with my dear friend from Ledoux Junior High, Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal. If you're joining us for the first time and you're wondering what this is all about, Carrie and I are two friends who can no longer sleep at night. So we decided the best thing to do would be to create a podcast about what we and others think about when we can't sleep. So as we like to say, let's, let's get, get ready to Guys, that was three people, so that's a, that's a hard thing to coordinate, but I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. Okay, so I am really excited because today we have three amazing siblings, the children of my dear friends, Missy and Paul Pfeiffer, all of whom live and work in the Twin Cities. Izzy is a DJ who, no surprise, loves music. She also loves being outdoors and spending time with loved ones. Ellen gets paid to teach sixth graders about Minnesota. She likes to be around good people, dance, do art projects, cook, and be active outside. And Gabriel is an engineer. He loves playing and listening to music, soccer, and the occasional video game. They are thoughtful, smart, creative, and to my mind, they are an amazing representation of their generation. They make me very hopeful for the future. And after you hear from them, I have no doubt you will feel the same. Please welcome to the podcast, Isabel, who goes by Izzy, Eloin, and Gabriel Pfeiffer. Hello, guys. Hi, welcome, guys. Hi, thanks Thank so much for having us. us. It's our pleasure. I am so. I. I just. I have to just full disclosure. I absolutely love these people. It's <laughs> like it's <laughs> like if if you see me gushing the entire time, that's because I literally love them. Aww. Okay, so there you have it. Um, okay, so here's what happens on this podcast. As you know, we ask you all what we, you think about when you can't sleep. So that is what I will ask you. What do you think about when you can't sleep? Elowen. So often I'm staying up in the middle of the night doing other things. And so that's why when I finally get into the bed, I sleep fabulously. Um, but when I, <laughs> what usually keeps me up, I would say, um, is anything from last night, I was spontaneously sewing myself an outfit um, to, to making banners for organization I work with, uh, to some grading as I'm a teacher. So usually it's the things that I'm doing that keep me up. Um, and then continuing into thinking about those until I get in the bed and fall asleep immediately. Tell me Isabel. And what do you think about when you can't sleep? Oh man. So I'm like the opposite of Elowen. Like I have, issues sleeping pretty much every night. I have a ton of anxiety about everything in the world and things that aren't in the world. Um, so I feel like a lot of times my, my not sleeping looks kind of like dark in my mind. Um, so a lot of like picturing the people that I care about dying and their funerals and, um, my loved ones. And, you know, I have pretty much every night dreams of my dog getting out and um, me having to chase her down and like carry her back home. And um, so, yeah, for me, it's like a lot of angst, like a lot of angst at night. And, um, you know, I live with uh, my partner who's in grad school, who is doing like um, a lot of like environmental justice stuff. So we talk a lot about her work that she does. And um, so then I start thinking a lot about this, those kind of things too. So yeah, for me, it can really run the whole thing rational to irrational. Like it can, it can go all night really. And Gabriel? 
Uh, yeah, aside from uh, Elowen's sewing keeping me up at night, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I yeah, I definitely have a. Uh, the, the similar line of anxieties is Isabel, but uh I, I definitely fixate on like the world ending. That's uh that's definitely pressing in my mind. Um I think about the apocalypse a lot and uh so yeah that's that's kind of the direction that I go down um when I am unable to sleep at night. Well just I'm a therapist. I don't know if you guys know that but um you know I listening to all three of you um I mean, Elowen, you seem like you're kind of running the, like if you were the puppeteer, you're kind of doing the banners and like all the different things. And and, and the other, uh, Izzy and Gabriel, um, I hear um, so much um, from your generation and younger and older, really, um, just the amount of anxiety in the world right now. Um, how do any of you then sort of quiet your mind? Like, what do you say to yourself to, that helps? Um, yeah, I feel like I've tried, I try a lot of things because, um, there isn't, I think the hard thing for me too, is I don't really have like a set schedule. So that makes it hard to not sleep at night then too. So to, to combat that lately, I've been trying to get on more of a regular schedule, but I work cause I haven't been working as much, um, in DJing with the current health state, right now um so normally my like nights end up me being up so late anyways that I try to like you know have my drive home from my gig where I like listen to music to calm down and then but it's hard because a lot of the things that like you know I would want to implement in when times when I'm DJing more it's a lot harder to do that because I get home at like two three four in the morning and you know I can't like call a call somebody to talk about it or like talk to my partner who's already sleeping or like, you know, so I don't know, like corny things, I guess, like try to have a cup of tea or like do some drawing or painting or write. Like I tried, I do that a lot of like scribbles in my journal and like candlelight in the middle of the night when I'm like trying not to be too loud with my not sleeping, um, just to like get it out of my head, just like write stuff down. That's definitely something that I do. And in the, when it's nicer weather, like, you know, going outside the last place that I lived, there was like a, you could get up to the roof at the apartment building. So just kind of like sitting outside, that's something that always helps me. And I like nighttime, especially in the city. Cause it's like a lot more quiet. There's just like things settle down. So I try to sort of like imitate that with my mind, like my mind settling down just the same way that like, you know, I look over the rooftops and there's downtown and it's like quiet. So I don't know. I try a lot of things. I do a lot of things and it totally depends on kind of like what, what my state of mind is at that time, what like really will work for me. What about you, Gabriel? So I like have like a pretty logical brain, I think. And so like, I think the strategies that I kind of go for are like problem solving strategies. So like the, the calming strategy is to make a plan and, oftentimes like chase like shrinking down the problem until it's manageable and thinking about what I'm going to do the next day I guess just like rationalizing the the next step so that I can go to sleep so that 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 problem is like sorted and there's a plan forward the next day that being said um if the problem seems too big then uh 
extra strength melatonin and drowsy Benadryl. And what about you, Eloin? I stay up late, so then I sleep through the night. So, um, so you know, maybe that's in itself a little bit way of that dealing with that. It's like, I'm going to get so sleepy that I am not going to be able to... Um, that I'm not going to be able to think about these anxieties. Um, you guys have all three such different coping mechanisms, you know, to kind of handle it. And I, I imagine it's because you have such different personalities, which is like already very apparent that it seems like Eloin is very action oriented, you know, that she's like doing a lot to kind of quell whatever anxiety she has. And then uh, Gabriel, you're very logical minded. And so you turn to kind of solution-oriented um, coping mechanisms. And then Izzy, you're just, you seem very creative and like you are sort of looking at life in, in metaphors, like the, the, the city's asleep and, and calming and your mind is asleep. And Can you each say how old you are, I, starting with Isabel and then Alan and then Gabriel? I'm 28. I am 25. I am 22. Just to give us a context, I think that's... What I was going to say before is like one thing that like helps me deal with a lot of those um, kind of anxieties we were talking about is like being around other people because I think that gives me hope and it's kind of this uh, combination of feeling good because you're around other people and then also like feeling that problem solving of like, okay, these people who are doing taking these steps right now. Um, so I think like last week for me is a great example of that where like I was at school and students had organized a walkout um, around like the COVID uh, like precautions being taken at school and the fact that our superintendent isn't choosing to go distance learning and like being in that environment after having been like really stressed about that and around other people like made me feel hopeful and like seeing the students taking that leadership I think just like made me feel better. And that's something that like, when I'm seeing those things that make me anxious online, that community is absent. So that feeling of like, hope and oh, we're problem solving because people are working together here. You know, when she's around other people, that anxiety or, you know, kind of subsides because she's around community and she's feels hopeful and it, it she's not feeling isolated as much. And I think that that's what screens have the potential to do is to really isolate us. What Elowen was saying is that, you know, how important human connection is. We can start to feel like we're an island unto ourselves, but but how unhealthy it is and how important, you know, being around other people is. One question I had for you guys, I know that, you know, you all are from Minnesota. You, we don't have to talk about this, but I know you part of what you have been doing, Elowen and Gabriel, and I also think Izzy, you've been doing this too, um, has been talking about police reform in, in light of the George Floyd um, and, and many others. I think you've talked about that. And I just was wondering, because you've talked about, your, you wanted, or all of you have said that you do something. You go for peace, uh, Isabel, and Gabriel wants to take action. And you're up puttering around, trying to figure a solution out, making signs, trying to be productive, Elowin. And so my question to you is, how was that for you guys? I mean, what was that experience being part of the Minnesota world during that time? And how did that affect you and sleep and all of that? That's a big question. I'll just start us off. Um, Cause I was just thinking about this actually, we were just talking about screens. Cause that was something that was really 
that I struggled with is being glued to the screen, especially during the uprising when it was like the most, like there was just, the news was constant, you know? And me, I wanted to be the most informed on as, as possible. Um, but that was really hard when you can't ever shut it off, especially during the uprising when, you know, we're up through the night, like we are hearing sirens through the night. Like, you know, I, my brother and sister came and helped Elwin and Gabriel who are here right now, my brother and sister. <laughs> um, but me and my partner lived just a couple blocks off Lake street, which is where a lot of the everything went down during the uprising in Minnesota. So, you know, we were spending the night staying up together, just looking out for our neighborhood and our community members, our house, our, you know, like those kind of things. And I, I really struggled, especially during those times and during other like protests and um, actions in response to police brutality since then, um, you know, especially with COVID and my family being very involved, like I, watch if I'm not there I'm watching the stream of what's going on I'm I'm watching seeing my siblings there seeing my parents there um keeping tabs on them and it's really really hard to be able to turn that off when it's so acute right there too that was kind of my connection with screens but yes being um I did not sleep for a long time um there and after the uprising during the uprising I don't think any of us really slept at all um and then afterwards and then subsequent yeah that's a huge thing and the constant sirens needing to stay up um to kind of keep an eye out for your neighbors when we were left to our own devices when there's burning cars down the street and nobody's coming to help in any way and it's white supremacists driving down the street with um truckloads of people with automatic weapons in the back and so yeah there I don't think any of us slept and it felt like we couldn't there wasn't really anything that you could just like you know a cup of tea wasn't going to do it for (laughs) (laughs) it was like we were we were in it and there wasn't an option and it felt like that's what at least for my perspective in my neighborhood and the community that I was a part of in Minneapolis like that's what every we were all in it together we were all depending on each other to be able to have that support because we were left high and dry, like, and just, there was all of the people who were most vulnerable were continuing to be most vulnerable. I feel like I talked about my visions of the apocalypse before. And, um, during that time, like I, I remember one night we were driving back from, a protest in downtown Minneapolis and um we were driving along 94 which parallels University Avenue where there is a lot of just sort of burning and unrest um along that street as well and so that there are just like the glowing of fire along the entire highway and then smoke just pouring over the highway like we you couldn't really see that far into the distance. And that was like a very apocalyptic image for me. Like it, it stuck in my brain and like, this is what the end of a certain way of life looks like. Like this is, this is a turning point or some sort of, some, the end of a way of life, which is an apocalypse. Um, But then 
that next day we like ended up waking up and going back to university Avenue and like helping the shop owners along university that got looted, um, clean up their shops and like sweep up broken glass and like, I don't know, put sort which shoes had like a pair (laughs) and put it on the counter in the pawn shop. Um, and so that next day it was like sort of the realization that an apocalypse isn't really the end of anything. It's just the end of a way of doing something. The, the, uh, the, the end of a certain mode that you exist in, and it doesn't necessarily need to be always for the worse. And like going that next day and realizing that like the way that we can change our way of life can be a positive way. And like we can build community and build resilience throughout our communities. I guess it brought to mind, like when we face even more pressing issues, like climate change, we can either let something change our way of life. Like we can kind of quietly allow our lives to change drastically. Um, and sort of succumb to the visions of the apocalypse, which, or we can like be proactive in the way that we change our way of life and be able to drive that forward. Like we can build community. We we can be our own apocalypses in a positive way, I guess. Yeah. I'll, it's what you do with the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how you said that. I, I want to meet your parents because I know they're friends with Gary, but like what gave you this like sense of, of, being proactive like this and just a sense of hope. It was so beautiful the way you said it. Like this isn't, um, this doesn't have to be the apocalypse. Like we can be the apocalypse. Like we can be those agents of change that um, sort of shift this way of looking at the end of the world or like all three of you seem to have that in really different ways, you know, like, um, and yet like as a unit, as the three of you, you're, you're super powerful. And so what gave you, each of you, I I guess, um, that sense that I can be this agent of change? I think there's a piece that like we kind of in, in the way we just were like, we were as a family growing up, that some of these kind of ways of thinking were set into motion for us. Um, And then I think there's ways that we continue to kind of grow and off of each other and kind of push each other to grow in new ways in that way too. Like when we were younger, I think, um, you know, like we would go as a family to, um, rallies. Like my parents always tell this story of Gabriel, like being and leaving, um, uh, like Ralph Nader rally. And he was like, doing like he couldn't speak yet words but he was like going like mm, 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 mm. <laughs> the same as, like, let ralph debate and so like i think there's a way that kind of like, being connected and so i think there is this way that like we felt that feeling of like community and you know hope from being like very little kids and like we went door knocking when like we would go with our parents to go door knocking and get out the vote and um and like have everyone over for chili afterwards at our house so I think that feeling um 
of like being in community with other people who cared about things that we care about was something that we all got to experience when we were really young. And so I think was something that continued to feel valuable as we got older. And then the ways um, that like the, the exact ways that that showed up changed, I think um, during the uprising, we had a lot of conversations about like, okay, yes, it's, um, you know, COVID is here. What risks do we need to take though? Because our community, because we need to um, be pushing forward uh, change in our, in our community, you know? Um, and that, you know, around COVID was a conversation because it was okay. Um, at these, we need to go to these marches that are thousands of people and how can we be as safe as possible? And I think that also transfers into, okay, when you're at an action, um, there's risk of arrest. Um, what position do we need to put ourselves in to also be, um, you know, um, pushing forward the things that we need to um, change as well. So I think, you know, we had that feeling from a young age of like valuing that community. And as we got older, kind of push each other and talk about um, how we envision that continuing to play out too and kind of that and particular issues that we see um, affecting our community too. Maybe our focus has changed and shifted as we've gotten older and experienced different things too. I think also like outside of like political and social activism, I think something that came to mind when thinking about just like what makes community the obvious next step um, is like, I don't, I think something that has been impressed on us from a young age is that when a loved one dies, you cook their family dinner. And like, that's just like what you do. And no matter what you bring their family dinner, the like sometime in the next week. And I feel like that kind of represents the way that you look at like community being the next step when there's a shift and end of times or a tragedy, like that is how you move forward and the only logical way that you can move forward. Bringing someone dinner is just after they lose a loved one is a beautiful metaphor to how to respond to any kind of loss or tragedy or whatever it is in our world. I mean, but not everybody has this mentality. And I guess if everybody did, maybe we'd be making a lot more progress. Well, I was going to say just to kind of like piggyback off what Gabe was saying too, just like the, the intentionality and also, but I think something that I've learned, especially a lot from like my siblings um, is like the importance of organization within that as well, because I feel like, you know, one of the things and Gabriel and Elwin were there for this too, like in my neighborhood during the uprising, like there was we an attempt to kind of create this neighborhood um, community like um, accountability where we're like watching for our neighbors. So we have like people who are sort of taking shifts and watching to make sure everyone's staying safe. And and it just kind of like fell apart. And, you know, the same thing um, can happen with and it, and it ended up being like us people in my building being like very responsible and kind of it, it just sort of fell apart and you can see that in ways just with other 
types of actions that have like a well-intentioned sort of uh, message or intent behind them. Um, and, you know, you saw that with the action in Minneapolis where the truck driver was drove onto the highway. And like, I was at that action and that was something that was like very, a lot of things and Ellen and comment on that too, but it's like, you have to kind of see how are we moving this forward as a community, but how are we also keeping ourselves and our community that we claim to value safe in these instances as well. And that's something, you know, Elowen and Gabriel are involved with TCD4J, the group that they work with. And that's something that they always focus on a lot when they're doing actions is how do we keep everybody safe? What is the intention with this action? And how are we going to keep the people who are on kind of this, this with us how are we going to protect them and keep them safe as well? Um, so I feel like that's the one thing. There's a lot of good intent too, like behind a lot of things, but how do you keep that organized so you can move your agenda forward? And that's something that I, yeah, again, I've learned a lot from my siblings just in organizing community members as well. I think for me, um, kind of in terms of bringing people along, uh, one thing is that so Gabriel and I have been working on um, getting signatures to be able to put on the ballot a measure that would establish a civilian police accountability commission um, or CPAC we call it and not the not the conservative uh, (laughs) uh, we have to clarify that always but civilian police accountability commission and that would be an all elected group of people who would have power over hiring firing um police officers also investigating complaints there's certain requirements about getting back to people around investigating complaints and supporting people through that process um and so this is something that that we've been working on that would make it so that um in with cases of police violence and just policing structure in general, um, people actually have a say uh, and greater democracy in that in that realm because right now we don't have that. We have police investigating themselves. Um, and so something that we've been doing is collecting signatures. Uh, we got to get about 15,000 signatures to be able to get this on our on the ballot. Um, and so in doing that, we've been having a lot of conversations with people and knocking on doors, going to events. And so that brings people along too. Um, something I'm involved with also is doing these education sessions that we call CPAC 101 um, that we've done online and also just in parks. And so that creates this opportunity for other people who um, are thinking about these same things um, and to, to get involved and say, oh, this is an idea that I'm really into and let me put my work into this too. And so there's a lot of people that I've met through these CPAC 101s who have then continued to become people who are then teaching the CPAC 101s and leading the CPAC 101s. Uh, and so for me, just engaging with people and having conversations about, okay, what are you thinking about, um, how has this affected your life, your community? Um, why are you kind of, you know, what brought you here today? Um, then having those conversations and staying connected with those people um, at, in doing this work together, I think is something how I bring people in. Um, 
And I think a lot of people are thinking about these things. And um, I know sometimes there's a feeling of like, oh, where do I fit? Uh, where do I fit in this fight? And like, we, we need everyone. And so sometimes it's just connecting with people and um, creating the opportunity for, for us to fight together. That's, that's how I've been talking to people. If our, if our listeners were interested in, in signing, you know, where would they go? Um, with, if you are a Minneapolis resident, uh, then following, so we have Minneapolis for community control police, which is, you can follow us on Facebook and that we will have, we have different, um, opportunities to sign. There's a couple of coffee shops that we have signing at. You can also go to our website, which is Gabriel. Tinyurl.com slash M P L S the number four C C P. So if you're in Minneapolis, that's where currently um, our, so our petition is to have a charter amendment, which a charter is like a city, a constitution for a city. Um, so it determines what are the different city departments. And so if you're a Minneapolis registered voter, you can sign and you have to sign in person. And so um, that is where going to that website, you can find where that's at. Um, and then there are a lot of other cities that are also uh, fighting to get community control of the police. That's what CPAC or Civilian Police Accountability Commission is establishing community control of the police because the community has a say in who are, who is policing them and how. So um, Chicago just passed um, an ordinance this past this past year that was establishing the first step and it's called ECPS and they're continuing to um, add greater control for the community um, into that as well. So that's um, the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression um, is one, one group leading that if people are in that area and interested in learning more. And then um, there are cities all over the United States trying to do that. So the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression is a place to check out if you're in another city and interested in seeing what kind of work around that's happening. And I just want to applaud all of you guys. What has been the reception of, of people, both positive and negative, to what you're doing? Yeah, I'll turn it over to them, back to them in a second to say no more. But um, I, I was working on some similar, something similar last year. Um, and I think the biggest thing that um, I took away from it was that people, most people are very unhappy with the current way things are. And that can go either way. But most people share a sense of dissatisfaction with the way that things currently are um, right now. And that dissatisfaction creates the opportunity to have the conversation. So I think a lot of people there, they can't picture things being different than they are. And so, but having this sense of dissatisfaction and this desire to see things be different creates an opportunity for there to be, um, change. And I think people will receive there are people who shut down immediately if you try to start a conversation about 
changing the current policing system. There's people who will get angry. There's people like, you know, out collecting signatures, you hit all the range of it. People who yell in your face, people who whatever, call you names, like you get all of it, but you also have a lot of really, really good conversations about what people envision seeing. And I feel like that's what like the overall response is, is people aren't happy with the way things are. And that could look a lot of different ways, what they want to change, but most people are dissatisfied. Yeah, I definitely agree with Isabel. There is like the overwhelming sense that change needs to happen um, as I've been out petitioning in Minneapolis. Um, I think there are varying degrees. There are people who um, will say, oh, police accountability, I'll sign right now. And then there's people that will say, like, I don't think it's going to work, but like, whatever you do it, like, good job. There's people that will chase you down the block um, and tell you that they think the police are doing a phenomenal job. Um, But those are rare. Uh, So the overwhelming sense is that change needs to happen. And I guess the way that I look at it, like I'm, I live in St. Paul and I I think that like, I don't even, I'm not even a Minneapolis voter and I'm doing, I'm out in Minneapolis collecting signatures for a ballot initiative. And the way I explain that to people is like, it is in my best interest to have a healthy community and a community that is safe, feels safe, has all of their needs met. And so when I'm out sort of explaining why we're doing this to people and like having those conversations where somebody doesn't necessarily agree with me or if that's a person does agree with me trying to convince them to come out with us and spend their time for free with us uh is like it's all in, it's in all of our best interests to build community to build to engage like we if everybody is out there engaged in trying to build the way that we organize ourselves like as a society, then we like, I feel like we can't go wrong. Like if everybody has a voice there then there isn't really a way that we can fail. Um, And that's why I like got behind this whole CPAC initiative is because it doesn't make a decision for anybody. It just gives people the opportunity to make a decision. And that for me is the most powerful part. One thing I know with my students that I've talked about, like I was thinking before too, is like in the way that sometimes um, like screens and uh, that can make me feel isolated. I know also that in talking with some of my students too, that's a way that they have found more connection. Like I've talked to some students who are like, um, you know, well, my parents don't really allow me to go to marches. So I'm mostly connecting with the activist community online. Um, And that's how I'm making these connections. That's how I'm organizing within my own school community. Uh, Talk to other students who are like, yeah, you know, like my connection to the queer community is online and I'm making these connections. This isn't something that I'm, you know, that I'm not, not connecting with my family it is interesting in how different generations experience that. So um, I think in the way that some 
people are finding more community in the, in those ways online. Um, there's that, and then there's also this piece of connecting more broadly with people in community communicating information as well and getting word out about events. So do you guys feel, it sounds like I know the answer to this, but I'm curious, I'd like to hear from all of you. Do you feel hopeful about the future or do you feel largely pessimistic or depending on the day? Um, I try to find hope, I think. And I think when I think about what that looks like, I look to the people who inspire me and that includes in a lot like my brother both my brother and sister Alwyn and Gabriel and my parents and my partner and like a lot of the other people that just bring inspiration in what they're doing to try to change the way things are um I have struggled with depression for a long time so I get very pessimistic and if it's the wrong time for me, you can't tell me that there's any hope in the world. <laughs> um, but then there's other times where I am able to just like, you know, tap into that and see small ways that change has been brought about. And all of that comes back down to connection within the community, building strength within your community, um, personal relationships and having conversations with people like just talking to people um that you don't know whether it's collecting signatures going door to door just being open to having the conversations um I think that's something that brings me hope and I've when I can't find it within myself I look to the people that I care about that inspire me and that's how I can find that hope for the future um, and also the young people, like, and I know that, yeah, like Gabriel said, a lot of people would still consider me a young person, but when I'm looking at like youth, like high schoolers, like junior high kids, elementary, like that brings a lot of hope because there is so much that is so different for them than it was for me. Even, you know, I graduated from high school 10 years ago and I feel like it could be 50 with the way that things have changed just with the way young people are approaching, you know, justice and queerness and everything. Like I'm so inspired by the young people and that does bring me a lot of hope when I see the amount of mobility and being at the actions and during the uprising, but in also the whole time after that to this point, seeing that like movement with young people and like, you know, young people, like young teenagers, um, is super inspiring because it shows where they are, their minds are right now. And it's, and the power that they have and are seeing and feeling like as a youth kind of cohort, it, it's super inspiring too. That's exactly how I feel when I'm talking to the three of you. That's exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, here I am, this old person and you young people got the, you've got the charge and you've got, you've got the football and you're about to throw it. Do you like that? I used a sports metaphor there. That was really <laughs> football. Um, Okay, wait. So wait, now, Elowen, can you answer that question? I think there's a degree to where I feel like I have to, and there's almost a responsibility to um, feel hopeful. And I think that there's obviously a difference of kind of being unrealistic or like a sort of kind of optimism that ignores how things are versus being hopeful. Like I think, yes, um, we are obviously like 
the people who are being most affected by that, right, are lower income people, people of color, like, and uh, people fe- are feeling those effects now um, more and more, but many people who, ha- who have, have been feeling those effects of the climate change for a long time. And like, obviously we're in a terrible place with that. So it's not a kind of, um, for me, I think we can't ignore those things, but I think we also have like responsibility to feel hope and like a need to feel hope in order to like keep moving forward. I mean, we live in the United States. Things have been terrible here since the founding of the country, like it's country um, founded on stealing indigenous land and then enslaving um, black people. So it's, it's country, it's been terrible and people have continued to have hope here. And so I, who am I to not have hope now and to not kind of utilize that hope to, um, continue to try to make um, our community a better place for everyone. And, you know, I think also hope is just necessary for me to be able to continue to get up and, you know, feel like, okay, yeah, like I can go be um, part of my community because I believe in our ability to make things better as a group. Uh, So I think hope is something necessary and also that, like, I don't know, I have a responsibility to seek out, too. I absolutely, I love that, Ellen. Going to use it with my kids, way into it. Okay, so Gabriel, go on. Do you do you have thoughts on this? The, the fashion that I've been going about things, um, I would say hope for me is, like, a very logical thing like I don't think I have like to be honest I don't think I have like an innate hope or like it's I'm not brimming with it but it's like okay step one of this plan is to have hope and it's not something that is like washing over me it's like I'm going to force myself to have (laughs) because if I don't have hope then the entire plan after this is is screwed to Isabel's point of like the newer generations giving me hope, I kind of, I disagree with that because I see like the people around me and my friends and the younger kids of our generations as like battered with information, with negative information, with screens, with anxieties, with COVID. Like I couldn't imagine going to high school right now in COVID times. Like that is their experience is so drastically different from mine and it doesn't show hopes of changing because there hasn't been like a actual proactive public health approach or any sort of empathy from the people in power. So like to me, what would give me hope and what step two of that plan with step one being hope is like, we've got to kind of all be there right now. Like, the thing that would give me the most hope is instead of like at my job, if I were to propose like a green initiative or something like that is great coming from me, but the most hopeful thing would be if the person who could fire me proposed a radical green initiative, like those, the power holders right now in the world, like the, given the urgency of what we're looking at, like there is no time for our anxiety ridden youth to get educated on how the world works, come to positions of power and 
fix it all. Like that lies on a, like the, the change in the world lies on a radical transition in the way that everyone thinks, especially our, the generations above us and our generation. So there's a call, there's a call to action for every single person to be proactive in how we, how we affect the changes that are inevitably going to come to our way of life. Well, yeah, I think, I think Gabriel, you know, you said it and just all of you guys are talking about doing something to move this forward. And it brings to mind, since we just had Martin Luther King day, this quote, you know, I'm just going to read it. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl, but by all means keep moving you know, you crawl, you fight, you know, and, and the other thing is it's really all in the way you see this, you know, and that's the other thing that brings to mind is, is Albert Einstein's quote that, you know, you really do have a choice. Like you either look at things as if they were a miracle or as if they're not. I mean, I don't know. I just feel very uh, hopeful talking to the three of you. I don't know about you, Carrie. Oh my God. Well, I love these people. I feel like, and we talked about this maybe in last week's podcast, but this idea that, and, and it's interesting at one of my lower points in life, I was, that's when I was really close with your parents. I mean, like that's when I saw them every day. And, um, I remember, and I think I referenced it in the last podcast that I wrote a thank you note to them because they would make me dinner or bring me tea. I think your father brought me this tea, like when I, you know, had a bad breakup or something. And the point is, is that like, those are the things there is this big question of, can we change it? Can we change it? But it's also, can we remember that we have, you know, the three of you are in this world and your parents are in, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I'm so weird. <laughs> um, we love you, Karen. Your, your parents are in this world and they, and they make dinners for people who, and, and those dinners, whether they're sick or not, I mean, that community of coming together and eating together and having being in that present moment together um, and, and showing friendship and support. Um, that's really what you're doing when you're helping your community. It's like, you're making dinner for your community. As you said, um, Gabriel about, you know, when people are sick or dying metaphorically, you make them dinner and that's what you all do. And it makes me feel like if you, if we can just, find those moments, even if they're small, there, there is so much hope in that. And it makes me feel just, I mean, I, I feel condescending saying that I'm proud of the three of you, but I'm inspired by the three of you. I really am. And I hope I can be as good of a parent as your parents were, because I think they're phenomenal. I, I like the, um, the cooking dinner kind of analogy and thought that came into my head was um, sometimes you cook at home. Sometimes you cook over the burning police precinct, but you're always cooking dinner for your community. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm, we can, yeah. I just am continuously inspired by community, by my family, my parents, my siblings, my partner. And yeah, that's, I like, I like that metaphor too. I feel like what came to mind when uh, Jenny read the MLK quote was like, if you can fly, you damn sure better be flying. <laughs> like, like that. Yeah. That, that's well, so it gets back to what Ellen said. It's the responsibility of hope. It's the responsibility to, to, to make, to, to, to believe and to, 
do as much as you can. Whatever unique gifts you have, bring it. This is the time to bring it, okay? Because like last week we had someone, an 18-year-old musician, and she's bringing it through music. And it was, she's incredible. And we've, you know, and it, you know, you're an engineer, you're a community organizer, you know, you're doing this through music, you know, whatever it is that, that your gift is fly, fly with it, go for it because we need you. You're making dinners. You are making dinners and you are, <laughs> you are responding to the call. It provides me with peace knowing that your generation and you three in particular on this podcast are responding to that call. Well, this might be um, logical me speaking again, but I feel like a way that uh, at least in the conversations that our family has around the dinner table and a lot of um, sort of conversations like this that we've had is a way that we sometimes close is uh, action items. Um, And everybody goes around and says some action items. Great. I think that's a perfect way to, to end. Like we're kind of at the dinner table right now. Okay, so what are our action items, guys? Um, Well, I am hoping this week uh, to get our new website for Minneapolis for Community Control of Police up and running and to submit our campaign finance report. Um, And then also further on in the future, I want to get a community garden going um, down the block to start... um, thinking about as a community, like food autonomy and urban gardening and figuring out how we can make that scalable and sustainable. I would say our, yeah, thinking about kind of continuing in um, the kind of education piece I do with the uh, work for the Civilian Police Accountability Commission, taking steps to promote our next CPAC 101, um, which will be online um, and getting more people to that to be able to connect with people. Um, got coming up this week social media party night where we make some social media content um to to get people involved and to educate people yeah so that those are those are my two action items and finish a, a an article also writing about the Spilling police accountability commission um yeah and similar to gabriel also uh would like to work with him on making this community on working on a community garden uh, in our neighborhood and getting more commu- connected with our um, community organization, maybe by going to a meeting this week. Well, th- since you just said that, and I've been, was in conversation with my partner this week, who's working on an initiative, um, an environmental justice initiative that is, and the one that we were kind of workshopping, I mean, She's the one in grad school, but I just, I'm just the idea bouncer offer. Um, but that's, I'm going to connect with Ellen and Gabriel because she sent her, submitted her proposal yesterday. And it's about connecting people with more access to organic and like sustainable foods. So I'm going to connect with you guys on that because her proposal is very, is actually like concrete and it addresses the um, St. Paul neighborhoods. So that's my action item. Okay, so my action items are, I mean, I, I am a simpler action item kind of person. I think the most important thing is I want to be a parent. I mean, from this conversation, I'm thinking, what can I do with my children um, to help make them better members of the society? 
and what do I need to do in showing them? So I'm really, I'm going to think about that because I don't know exactly what that would be, but I like sitting around the dinner table and maybe put making this action item thing, part of our, uh, our model. And also, um, just being really, I also just feel like what the responsibility of hope, I, I love that. And I'm going to really try to bring that in. And also the family dinners. I've learned a lot today, people. I'm, just gonna, <laughs> like, I'm gonna make people dinners. I'm going to do my action items and I'm going to try to be a better parent to, so that my children will be as wonderful as the three of you. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I share with Carrie, I'm a mom and I'm also a therapist. And I think just the simplicity of sitting at the dinner table, you know, whether you all are helping to make a meal or whether it's like you said, on, on the line of fire, you're making a, a meal, whatever that is. I think just having the awareness for myself, you know, to how important family meals are, number one. And number two, like having meaningful conversation and action items um, of what each person, each child in the family is responsible for or teenager, whatever you have. Um, and then as a therapist too, just like taking those, like, what is your action items uh, for this week, which is what I do, you know, from, from week to week. And I always tell my clients, you know, it's not, about just this 50 minute session that we have. It's about what you do in between the 50 minute sessions, you know, and it's your responsibility to really, when you're having this thought that is going to lead you in a, in a direction you don't like to reset and realign and remember our conversation, like, you know, keep me in your pocket. So take me in your pocket. So I'm going to take all three of you in my pocket. And, and I think our listeners should too, because you're, you serve as amazing examples for how to bring something so simple as like family dinner, turn it into action and really, you know, make a meal for the community and extending that out to, to our apocalyptic world. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this. I think this is such a great model for, you know, all families to sit around and create these action plans. So you guys really are, you know, different cogs on the wheel. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for, you know, coming on the podcast today and, um, and to our listeners, thank you as well for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts to learn what we're all about. Visit us at the midnight where you too can become a fansomniac. And of course, be sure to tell your friends because your support is necessary to make this thing take off. So for the Midnight Ramblings, this is Jenny Silverstein and Carrie Ofstein-Rosenthal. Thank you again for joining us and we will see you next week.